You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. The collective gasp you can hear across the country is the puckering up of the Deer District in Milwaukee as we get ready for game two of the NBA Finals between Phoenix and the Bucks. It feels like everything's on the line. Spain and Fitz for a power hour on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're going to lead you into game two of the NBA Finals. Coverage on ESPN Radio starts at 8 p.m. Eastern. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and all of our guests will join us on the Goodyear Hotline. When we're only an hour, you know what that means. You raise your shot glass, and we get you, we get their power hour together <laughs> uh, as we're going to get you caught up on everything you need to know for tonight's matchup. We'll start with some Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And Sarah... Now, all the straight talk on this is going to be about adjustments. What adjustments are going to be made? How are the Bucks going to come out and try to play better, especially defensively and realistically? What can we expect from Giannis? So it feels like there's a ton of question marks tonight on, on the Milwaukee side, not just about how they can win the game, but how they can frankly just look better in the game than they looked in game one. Yeah, I don't want to try to play both sides, but I have to say that like I can easily see the Suns repeating what they did in game one, you know, maybe even not letting them back in it in the fourth when Aiton was sitting for a bit and they it closed the gap. Um just as easily as I can see Milwaukee changing a couple things that they are already successful at and have been successful at all season and winning this game. This to me is a very close series and because of that, those adjustments that the Bucks could make, including fouling less, playing cleaner defense and sending the Suns to the line less often. Um, switching occasionally on pick and rolls, but not all the time, sometimes dropping back their big man, figuring out when to use Lopez and when to use Giannis at the five. These are all things that are not super complicated, and I can see them really thriving in this game. So, you know, I'm supposed to have a big, you know, strong take about somebody blowing it or somebody being great, and instead I think these are two very interestingly matched teams, and if they're efficient and they execute, we could be in for a good long series. The thing that surprises me to have to talk about in general with so much of the playoffs has been intensity or, you know, the the fire, whatever cliche you want to uh, use for the way the game starts. But the reality of it is for Milwaukee, there have been times that they've come out and just looked uh, flat. They've looked like curious Mm -hmm. on how they're approaching the game. And we saw that against Atlanta a few times. And that's why I feel like everybody reacted at the time saying Hawks in six, you know, that there's this joke about it. But realistically, this is also a Milwaukee team that we've seen come out at times with an incredible, uh, incredible assertiveness of their own dominance and size. And that's the thing that I think I really expect here. Milwaukee missed so many shots early in game one, while it felt like they were feeling each other out. I expect to see a more aggressive version of the Bucks early on in this game coming out with a little bit more fire and basically saying, hey, we're going to throw the first punch. Can Phoenix sort of dance with us? Because it felt like in game one, there was much more of the beginning of a heavyweight fight where two teams were just sort of going around dancing more than they were punching. Yeah, and, you know, I, I thought it was uh... – an interesting take from Cassidy Hubbard, who was on with KJ and Z this morning, um, as to why the Bucks were were bummed about the loss in Game One. We've seen them lose every single first game except against the Heat. They didn't even play particularly well in that one, but managed to slip by. Um, and it was because the things that they're good at were the things that they got beat at. Here's what she said. 
they feel like they are a great defensive team and that that's what they hang their hat on. And they, and they felt like they were predictable in game one. And, um, you know, Drew Holiday in particular, whether he was disappointed in himself or disappointed in how, um, you know, their, their game plan defensively, he said, we, we can't give them a steady dose of the same defense. Um, I, I'm getting a sense we're still going to see some switching, but, you know, I think we're going to see more soft switching, maybe not one through five, um, see more Drew Holiday, P.J. Tucker run through, run through screens because that's what they can do, um, muck it up defense, which we saw with, with, with the Clippers. So the, the, their point is we have to make it uncomfortable for a 36-year-old Chris Paul out there. We can't let him be just the maestro and then have that drop back defense. All that is so true, Fitz, and I think there's still a lot of differing opinions on exactly how they should handle the pick and rolls, how often they should have Lopez, and when they should go to Giannis at the five. Like That's going to be a big deciding factor in this series is how Coach Bud decides to play that. Well, and I know this is in the minutia, but at the beginning of the, the cut there, Cassidy said they feel like they're a great defensive team. They are a great defensive team and have been. I mean, there's so much proof of concept to their ability to play great defensive basketball. They did not in game one, and it looked like they didn't necessarily have a great game plan, and it also looked like whatever game plan they had, they didn't execute well. I've got to believe that you spent the last day looking at the film and you're going to come out and be a much different team in your approach. Either the plan's going to be altered slightly or the approach to how they execute the plan's going to be altered slightly. But I personally would be stunned to see them run in place. Now, that being said, part of the reason a great defensive team didn't look great defensively is because the Suns are just flat out a tough matchup. Richard Jefferson, NBA ESPN, ESPN NBA analyst, I should say, uh, talked about that this morning with Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin. The Phoenix Suns are a very crafty team. They're a team that's going to get to the free throw line. Chris Paul, he does a great job. The minute you're in the bonus, that's when he starts drawing fouls. That's when he starts, you know, you know, flopping around a little bit. But that's why they're such an efficient team from the free throw line, because when they get there, they make them. Uh, so I, I think it's more of just calming down, getting into your system. If everybody overreacts about game one, do I still think the Phoenix Suns are going to win this series? Yes, but I think this series is far from over. I agree. And I think, you know, the Suns are going to be a tough matchup, and it's going to be really difficult to guard Chris Paul and Aiton on the pick and roll. Those two guys are very well built for that particular play, and Chris Paul's one of the best ever and smartest in doing so. But I think we also forget that in basketball, oftentimes, height is an advantage. Size is an advantage. So if you're going to let them beat you sometimes because of their speed, you need to counteract that by being aggressive and dominant and physically imposing. You need to make, as as Cassidy said, you need to make it difficult for a 36-year-old, six-foot-tall Chris Paul. And they, they didn't do that in the first game. And part of that is Drew Holiday sort of disappearing. Um, but the game plan also needs to be built around taking advantage of the strengths that they had instead of us focusing so much on what the Suns do. Um, there are a lot of ways that the Bucks can make things tough for them. I think we have to remember, too, that some things are universal in sports. How often do we hear teams and athletes come out afterwards and say, well, you know, we'd seen it on tape, but uh, the speed was just different in person. You know, it's different when you're facing it face to face. And that feels like such a real part of the adjustment process for the NBA playoffs. And part of the reason that regular season teams don't always equate to great playoff teams is because you get that opportunity to focus on one opponent, one thing, and one way that you want to shut them down. So uh, right now, yeah, I think there's a ton of pressure on Coach Bud, and there's a ton of pressure on the Bucks to come out and play better in this game. 
but I don't see any reason that they won't. That's some straight talk, straight talk wireless, no contracts, no compromise. Again, we are short as we'll take you into the coverage of Game 2 on the NBA Finals. It starts on ESPN Radio at 8 p.m. Eastern. So we're going to get into some other fun stuff, including coming up next, a legend from the women's U.S. Women's National Soccer Team will join us next to talk all things Olympics, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, and as always on the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Happy to have joining us now in the Goodyear Hotline, legendary soccer player, author, team owner of the Angel City FC team in the NWSL, and now the host of Abby's Places on ESPN+. Plus. It's the great Abby Wambach. What's up, Abby? Sarah, thank you for having me. As always, you are my favorite. Aw, uh, I'm, wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'm in the room, forever. y'all. Like, I'm just totally going to just rail this thing off the road. Like, since you guys both are owners of teams, like, is this a rivalry call? Do I need to worry about this at this uh, point? Like, they don't have any coaches or players yet. Fit. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. That is, that's, boy, that's I the story them, of my life. I consider them friends until they have any players or a coach. And then once that's okay. finalized, it's okay. over. Um, we're going to talk about Abby's Place in a minute. But I want to ask you, as we're getting ready for the Tokyo Olympics, Champagne problems for Vlatko Andonovsky having to finalize this roster. I mean, just a, a bevy of of talent. Uh, and I wonder, you know, was there anything that stood out to you in making those decisions that you thought was probably the hardest for him in finalizing it? Well, I mean, I think the biggest difficulty he's having and probably has had over the last year is he's got so many amazing quality players. And he left quality players off the roster, right? Players that were part of the 19 World Cup championship team, though he wasn't that coach, you know, he inherited all of those players who were on that team. And I think that when you come from a championship team like that and you take the helm and you are now the leader, whittling that 23-player roster down to 18 um, has, I mean, for me, it's like impossible. It's like, how do you choose, right? And so it comes down to style of play. Um, and Blacko has a specific and a very cool and modern way he wants to play, which requires uh, a certain kind of player, right? And, you know, I'm just proud of the players who did make it. I know Christy Muniz made this roster, and she wasn't even on that, that World Cup championship team, which just shows you the kind of things that can happen when you're on fire during a certain period of time, right? And so... Don't envy that guy's job in any way, making that <laughs> final roster decision, because you're just breaking hearts, you know? Like, And everybody is family. Everybody is close. Everybody wants every the goodness for everybody. And it's just, it's so hard, right? But yeah. once that team and the roster is set, you can't think about that. You got to move forward and all eyes have to be pointing towards gold medal. Yeah, I mean, the level of confidence usually nationally for all of us as we watch the women's team go out there is, is tremendously high. So who's the biggest competition in your mind for the U.S. at the Olympics? Yeah, this is going to sound so arrogant of me, but our biggest competition is ourselves. Hmm. Um, we know that we can beat any team any day we step on the field. It's just a matter of whether we do all the things that we know we're capable of doing. If the players who are game-changing players show up, right? And then I always kind of like to think about it, that there's going to be a couple Cinderella cool internal stories that are happening around this this Olympics. Kristen Press is on fire right now, mm-hmm. and I think she might, she might have a really interesting experience, right? Because if she can keep playing and, and find the minutes, 
to play to get the goals that, that as a forward you need to continue playing minutes, we might be introduced to some new talent, which is always really exciting. But I do think that our biggest competition uh, and opponent is ourselves, right? Because so many things are a part of this this run that they're they're about to embark on. It's can we manage the egos? Can we manage the the fame? Can we manage the expectation? Can we manage what's going on? Can we manage the opponent? Can we do what we say we're going to do? Can we play and 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 fulfill the game plan as Latko sets out for us? All of these questions are up in the air, right? And whoever is standing on that top podium come the end of the Olympics is the one who is able to answer the most questions. Abby Wambeck is with us here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, the host of Abby's Places on ESPN+. Plus. Want to get to that, but but about this Olympics, you know, you have experience, but nothing like this. This is no fans, no family. Questions about COVID and safety. Have you talked to the players much about balancing sort of the enthusiasm and excitement of this opportunity with all of the question marks or uh, things that they're still unsure about over there? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think you can operate in one of two ways, right? You can let this uncertainty decide your fate, or you can decide that you're just going to pivot with whatever happens because you can't control some of this stuff. You can't control what the IOC is doing and choosing to do. You can't control what's going to happen or who's going to be in the stands. All you can do is control the controllables, right? And yes, it's going to be different, but by the way, it's happening, right? Like the alternative for me, not just as a fan, but as an, as an actual athlete is like, well, the worst case scenario is not happening. Like we're actually, we're going to be playing in this Olympics. So however it happens, we're going to be as prepared as we possibly can be. So I do think that there's going to be an element of the support staff that plays a massive role in the champions of this upcoming Olympics in Tokyo. How are these governing bodies, how are these NGOs preparing their athletes for the pivots that are, that are inevitable to happen? And that's why it's so exciting to watch, right? Under all of these weird circumstances. But for me... I'm like, cry me a river. You're an Olympian. Mm-hmm. You're representing <laughs> your country and you have get a job. Done. <laughs> I don't care how it happens. Just go get the damn gold, right? Like, go get it. It's yours. God, that's just hearing you talk that. It just gets me fired up, Abby. Okay, so obviously you're talking about how change, there's so much chaos there, but sometimes things, you know, a little normalcy. Were there any weird, like, Olympic superstitions for you? Does everybody sort of treat this one the same or are there differences in the way that's approached? Yeah, I think that every team is different, right? So I can only speak from my experience. But, you know, the Olympics is a little bit different than the World Cup. Uh, You know, in in an Olympic Games, you're playing in satellite cities. Now, what that means is you're not, like, playing in Tokyo every single game. Like, you might be in different parts of the country for certain games, for a group stage and then for knockout round stage games. So you're traveling quite a bit. So it's kind of a different experience. So you don't really get to the village until the finals. Sometimes the semis, sometimes the finals. So you're not experiencing the games like you see all the other athletes experiencing the games. And so in terms of superstition, you just treat it like, like, I mean, for lack of a better way of saying it, you're treating it like a job. You have a specific routine that you fulfill every single day, right? So you have your checklist. And on the national team, we have what's called the 1%, trying to check off every single thing on your list. And then the athlete is, is in charge of their body. 
And if you can make a 1% gain every single day by doing some sort of regenerative work, right? So whether it's massage or the compression pants or going for a walk or eating something different, like whatever it takes, like you're trying to make these minuscule changes and minuscule efforts to just give yourself a 1% better chance of being better, right? And then in the end, you never really know what your limits are, right? Mm. So you just have to push yourself to the extremes and hope that the training that the coaching staff has put you through for the last, you know, year and a half for these, for these athletes, I mean, the worst training program in the history of the Olympic Games, I mean, all of these athletes are just probably so relieved not to be playing against each other, right? <laughs> like, like I talked to the water polo ladies a month back oh, and gosh, they're like, yeah. yeah, so we've been in training for 18 months and we've basically just been playing against ourselves <laughs> this whole time because they couldn't travel. Nobody could travel, right? So to be able to like go somewhere else and play someone else is actually, I think, going to be kind of a cool gift and maybe could potentially pose as like a superstition of itself. So I don't know. I'm just excited for something to watch. Really, yeah, no that, kidding. <laughs> that's different than, than male-dominated major league sports. <laughs> uh, Abby Wambeck is here with us on Spain and Fitz. First of all, I just love that, and I think we can apply that to so much more than just being the greatest soccer players in the world. Uh, one of our colleagues, Stu Gatz, calls it being 1% less worse. Um, so that's you know one of the ways that you can frame it. But basically, what tiny thing can you do that gives you an edge? I love that. I want to record all this and just send it to the locker rooms across the country. Um, before we let you go, I want to talk about Abby's Places. It's a new ESPN Plus series from you, soccer superstar Abby Wambach, taking you around the country to get to the heart of soccer history and its cultural impact. Abby's Places is streaming now on ESPN Plus. So give us a little teaser. What can we expect? You know, special guests and locations and all that. Yeah, so I, I got to hang out with some former teammates, some former legends of the game, Landon Donovan, uh, Brandy Chastain, Julie Foudy, Chicharito. And really what this show is about is introducing the story and the history of soccer in a way that it's never been told before. And it's not Peyton's places, by the way, folks. Like, Peyton has a total <laughs> different way. Like, this is Abby's places. This is my show. I get to put my spin on it. I make the executive decisions. You know, and I think that for me, having the chance to tell this story of soccer through my eyes or real football, like I'm calling it, <laughs> um, it's just been so beautiful and wonderful because, by the way, I grew up watching NFL football. I didn't grow up watching soccer because guess what? There wasn't soccer to watch on any channels, on any televisions that I grew up watching. So to me, people my age don't really understand why soccer is so popular worldwide, why it's the world's game. And then I'll just end with this. You know, I have had a love-hate relationship with soccer for, for my whole life. But what I have learned in my retirement is the thing that I love the most about it is how I, it gave me a chance to meet fantastic human beings and grow as a human being. And so for me, I want to show the world how soccer is, in fact, love and how soccer can impact and change the world for a better. And so this is my attempt at doing it. And you yeah. know what? Like. It's been a lot of work. You know better than, than, than me how much work it is to make a TV show a TV show. But wow, like, yeah, the 10,000-hour rule is true, Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> 
Well, and just the lofty expectations. If I just want everyone to know how we could change the world with soccer. Nothing, nothing big. Yeah, uh, it's, Abby, it's we we love talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on. We'll have to have you back uh, once the Olympics get underway. Same, same, same. Love you guys. She loves us. She, do you hear that? She loves us, and I'm her favorite. Abby Wambach yeah, with us here on Spain I mean, Brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Coming up, some congrats go out to a new champion next Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Only he had found some enthusiasm somewhere deep within for the lightning striking twice as the Bolts repeat as Stanley Cup champs. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're taking you into game two of the NBA Finals. That starts right here on ESPN Radio coverage at 8 Eastern. Uh, That was lightning radio on that highlight. Uh... He strained a lot. I'm worried about, you know, the post-game hemorrhoids from that kind of straining. But it was good. He was fired up. And this team, Fitz, is... We were asked today on Around the Horn if it was dynastic. And for me, you need more than two wins to be a dynasty. But I said it was dynastish because the way they've won the last two and how well they've played in the last couple postseasons, even without winning at all, has been unbelievable. They've outscored teams by 50 goals in the last two postseasons. My God. I mean, yeah. and, and through this process, they've, I mean, the way that we view Tampa Bay as a franchise has changed so much over the course of the last several years. I mean, I know, obviously, the last two years they win back-to-back championships. That's going to be a big part of it. I think dynastish is a fair yeah. way uh, to, or as, to uh, represent Kevin Blackstone them. called them dang nasty. Oh, look at that. <laughs> that is, but you know, and yes, they had a round one loss before this, but they, they went far in the playoffs for a couple of years before that. So for the last oh, five, yeah, I remember six the years, Blackhawks I feel like defeating them to win it. Oh, you, you don't say, I mean, if, it but it does for feel like fits? they have Has that ever uh, happened to you. Has you ever celebrated a victory or three no, in six years? I don't know what a Stanley Cup feels like. I have no idea. <laughs> but Vegas says that the Golden Knights are one of the favorites next year. So maybe, maybe, you know, maybe I'm Take all that. in on going Take that to the Golden bank Knights. and try to cash it. See what happens. Well, you know, it's one step at a time. I'm not, I mean, I'm not putting any money on on, on the not Golden yet. Knights. Not but yet. I, and it's also weird to say Vegas says Vegas is one of the favorites right. for the Stanley Cup. Like there's so many things that are different than we would have expected 10 years ago. But so kudos true. to that entire process. So true. Uh The Stanley Cup, at Stanley Cup verified account, uh, used its uh, presumably lid to type out, FYI, I'm too heavy to throw at Tom Brady. Uh, Because you remember, of course, Tom Brady celebrated (laughs) his Bucs win by throwing the trophy, to which Tom Brady responded, IDK, everything feels a little bit lighter after some tequila. Uh, Which you also may remember that Tom Brady was hammered after they won, enjoying himself. So we'll see what kind of celebrations go down in the uh, in the Tampa Bay area, and speaking of Tom Brady, I sent this to you and our producer Stosh earlier today. I don't want to look at this, and I don't want to acknowledge it, but sometimes you just have to accept. GD, this guy's good, and Tom Brady has been residing in the place that has been successful for almost his entire life. So from eighty to ninety four, he called the Bay Area home, and. The Raiders, Niners, 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 all Super Bowl champs, then the A's, then the Niners again. So you've got world champs in 80, 81, 84, 88, 89, 89, and 94. Then he goes to the Detroit metro area, was it University of Michigan? The Red Wings win two Stanley Cups and 
Michigan wins the national championship. Then he's in Boston, and we all know what happened there in addition to all of his titles. The Red Sox, the Celtics, the Bruins, the Red Sox again, the Red Sox again. Now Tampa Bay. The Lightning win twice, and of course he leads his Bucks to last year's Super Bowl win. It's just not fair. It, it's an aura about him, uh, and perhaps if there is actually a simulation being run, whoever's running us is just a really big Tom Brady fan and showers him with gold and joy. I, this is what I know. What you have just educated the world on is if you thought there was a bidding war for Tom in the NFL, the bidding war for where Tom will reside in retirement is going to be even bigger. Because if all he has to do is live in a city to win championships, then let's start wheeling it out. Like your mayor needs to put together Dude. a presentation, Who like a PowerPoint. Who uh, deserves Tom Brady? Like, let's say he has to change residences every five years to reflect the gold and joy I previously referred to on various places that have earned it. Where does he go first? Buffalo. The Cleveland Indians? Ooh, he, goes, he goes to Buffalo, right? Like, he hangs out in Buffalo, and all of a sudden the Bills win a Super Bowl? And maybe Bowl? San like, Diego. Oh, I mean, <laughs> he goes, I, I just love the kind con- I mean, hey, he should move to Vegas. That's where he should move. The Okay, beautiful. you guys and, just got started. You're okay. Well, I mean, one step at a time. Like, no, I, just, I think I mean, you're good. I mean, Let's he, give some to the people who need it most. Buffalo, San Diego. Let's send him over to hang with the Cleveland Indians. You know, let's let's get him. Can we please get him to the Angels so we can see Mike Trout in a couple postseasons, please? And Shohei now. I feel like at some point, what what a team does is offers him like I don't know, fifteen million dollars a year to just to be a band, brand ambassador. And yeah, everybody one says, of those Why? cushy just, ambassador gigs. <laughs> yeah, you you sh- you show the win loss records. You're like, we're not bringing him here for any reason other than this. Like success just, just follows be somebody nearby. And, and let's all be very honest for once in our lives and just admit the truth. Like we would all be Tom Brady fans if he played for our favorite team. It's just the truth. Everybody <sighs> would root for him if he was our. Well, for the most part, there are a couple things that stand out as problematic yeah, to me, but we don't need to get into those right now. <laughs> We'd all be a fan of the football player, Tom Brady, if he played Fair. for our favorite team. Fair. And there's Better a lot said. of terrible problematic people that aren't at least winning me stuff that I root for. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so well said. That is so well uh, said. Game two of the NBA Finals is coming up. Coverage on ESPN Radio starts right here at 8 Eastern. Fitz, who you got tonight? We had to pick predictions, and, and I think the Bucks come out on top in this one and even it up. Yeah, I, I think, I think Phoenix wins tonight at home. I, I, I want, I want Milwaukee to win. I think Milwaukee is going to win the next two at home. It's going to be two two. But, but tonight I think Phoenix wins. But we see a much more aggressive version of Milwaukee, and everybody by tomorrow is com- just exploding, convinced the series is done. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, you're predicting the hot takes. As in addition, to, I just asked for a game prediction, and you gave me the game and the takes. I appreciate you that. You really did. Total pro. Total pro. Ah, uh, game two of the NBA Finals coming up next. See you. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at seven Eastern on ESPN Radio.